You're listening to the Match of Her Day podcast, Living 90 365. Hello and welcome to the Match of Her Day podcast. I'm Chris Legg. And I'm Samantha Miller. Coming up on the show, the first silverware of the season was handed out on Saturday. We'll have reaction to the Continental League Cup final between Arsenal and Manchester City. Well, we get the thoughts of Gunners boss Joe Montemiro and midfielder Kim Little on the season so far and the title run-in. And the latest on calls for the FA to address the vast disparity in the prize money on offer for the men's and women's FA Cups. Let's start though with the reaction to that Continental Cup final at Bramall Lane on Saturday. Shortly after the final whistle, Chris spoke to Tom Gary, who was there reporting for the BBC. Well, Tom, it finished goalless after extra time. Then Manchester City winning the penalty shootout against Arsenal 4 Two, the City keeper Karen Barsley saving from Leah Williamson and Daniel van der Donk. Arsenal's keeper, of course, Sari van Veenendaal, did stop 18-year-old Lauren Hemp's effort. And it was City's Janine Becky who scored the decisive penalty. What did you make of the final? And were City deserved winners? Ultimately, yes. City were very much deserved winners. Um, although losing on penalties was harsh on an Arsenal side who valiantly dug in and, and didn't give up um, for City not to have won would have been a bit of a travesty really they as you say they went uh, very close they hit the woodwork twice in, in normal time and went close on numerous occasions um, Harris flicking onto the crossbar and then Becky firing onto the bar having come on as a substitute uh, so yeah if City hadn't won it would have been pretty harsh on them and they, they were deserved winners a dramatic way for a cup final to be settled. What was it like for you to witness that? Uh, what was the atmosphere like? And what's been the reaction from the players and the managers that you've spoken to? Well, the crowd were getting more and more expectant as extra time went on because uh, it became increasingly evident that there was either going to be a very late dramatic winner or we were going to be heading for penalties. And uh, it, it, was an, it was a good atmosphere, actually. There was, uh, the majority of the fans were over on one side of the stand and they... The two loudest pockets of Man City and Arsenal fans were sort of in opposite corner flags, making a, a good old racket for the majority of the game with a clapperboard. So, so it, was, it, was, it was a good occasion. Uh, it was an increase on the crowd from the previous year. Um, so I think the authorities are relatively happy with, with that. Uh, and, and the reaction, I mean, Man City are obviously delighted. I, 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 you sense there's some relief there, having played so well. And for Arsenal, well, um, Joe Montemiro, the manager, um, said that they, they did what they could with the resources they had, injuries, etc. And obviously Viviana Miedema, their top goal scorer, wasn't fully fit. He was only on the bench. Um, and, and, but he said he, he still praised his, his squad's heart. Uh, he said it was an un-Arsenal performance, um, but that he was, he was still extremely proud, as proud, if not more proud, than he was when they won the trophy last year. Do you think it's going to have any bearing on the, the title run in City? Perhaps have struck a bit of a psychological blow, even though Arsenal do have these two games in hand on them uh, despite being two points behind City? Perhaps, uh, but maybe it will benefit both in some way. Arsenal now have perhaps even more motivation to try and get some form of uh, revenge. And Man City obviously now go in with, 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 with full confidence. I think there, there are two keys, again, one for each side. Arsenal having two games in hand, but Man City having a, now a fully fit squad, whereas Arsenal are, are really depleted in numbers and it sounds as though there might be uh, an injury they picked up today again for the left-back Katrine Vage. So that may have worsened their situation for the squad. So it's still finely balanced, um, but but perhaps after today's result, maybe City have a slight edge. Okay, well, we've got the international break coming up now, the She Believes Cup. What's been the reaction in the media to uh, Phil Neville's squad selection? 
Well, I think there's been a few surprises, uh, but overwhelmingly now it does appear that this squad looks like the squad he will look to take, or very, very closely resembles the squad we think he will probably take to France in the summer, barring uh, any injuries. He, he, he sort of uh, looked at a few different players over the last six months or so, um, but he now seems to have a side that he seems quite happy with. I mean, one of the big decisions in the squad that he had was uh, in terms of the goalkeepers, and um, we saw a big moment today because Karen Barsley, uh, for some in the media, was a very controversial selection because um, her counterpart at Man City, uh, Ellie Roebuck, the youngster, has been playing very well in goal, and at times they've been competing for the number one shirt at Man City. So in some people's eyes, if you're not the number one for your club, how can you be uh, the number one for your country? But uh, Phil Neville has picked Karen Barsley, and today Nick Cushing picked Karen Barsley as well, and she's come up with the goods when it really mattered. Two saves in a shootout. She had an excellent game. She dealt very well with a couple of awkward moments in the first half when there was a really difficult low sun uh, with some crosses and she dealt well with those two and then those two saves in the shootout and uh, speaking in the mix then her, her teammates have all been um, singing her praises and saying she's the, she's the goalkeeper for the big occasion. Just remind us Tom who England are playing in this tournament. Well it will start off uh, with a game against Brazil uh, in Pennsylvania that's on Wednesday and then they'll place the hosts uh, the USA on the 2nd of March before finishing up against Japan on the 5th of March in Florida and all three sides are in the top 10 in the world, so it should be a, a really high caliber competition. And of course, England will play Japan again in the World Cup in the summer. So that one is um, particularly of interest in, in the sense of uh, getting a feel for, for their opponents ahead of a group stage meeting in France. What do you think Neville's priorities are in this tournament and in the uh, remaining weeks and months ahead of the World Cup? And in your honest opinion, Tom, how far do you think England can go in France? Well, to answer that last one, I, I think the safest prediction at the moment uh, would be that it, England will, will, will certainly go far. Uh, and I, my personal thought would be that they would get to the semi-finals. Mm-hmm. I think it would perhaps be a little bit jostmissive to think they could win it. Um, but they certainly, they've got a great chance. Well, if I was betting, I w- I'd probably put them to lose in the semi-finals narrowly to France. Uh, as it stands with the draw, if both those two countries were to win their, their group, they would be on collision course to meet in the semi-finals. And I... Although England are an excellent side, I, I, I fear if they were to come up against the host nation in the semi-final, with France being so strong, I, I think France would edge that. That's, that's probably my prediction, perhaps a semi-final defeat uh, against France. Um, but it won't be easy to get that far, actually, because I think what we'll find in this tournament is that there are lots of other, uh, well, emerging is not quite the right word, but lots of other improving countries who, who are going to pose a real threat. Um, it's a tough group, obviously, Japan, I mean finalists last time out uh, and, and Scotland are, are very dangerous this is a Scotland side littered with, with WSL stars now and I think they could be extremely dangerous um, so it will not be easy and there's other countries um, to watch out for who, who, who I think could cause some upsets teams like Spain who, who are dominating at youth level in women's football at, at the moment and Sweden who obviously beat uh, England in Rotherham late last year so it will be tough in terms of you asked about his uh, priorities I think now's the time to really try and settle on a first choice starting 11 there's been lots of rotation um, I think the biggest problem for, for Phil Neville is he has so many attacking options to choose from he's got a wealth of talent um, going forward so much so that he's actually been resorting to playing Frank Kirby in midfield I, I, I guess perhaps partly so he can accommodate his other strikers up front um, he's, he's, got, he's got so much choice I think he'll want to use his tournament to try and find out for sure who is the third starting 11 are if they're all fit well, thanks to Tom Gary there. Excitement certainly building in the run-up to the World Cup kickoff on June the 7th. Uh, Sam, your reaction to the Continental Cup final. City the winners, 
But what do you think is going to happen in the title running? Will it be City who have this two-point advantage? Or do you fancy Arsenal? Of course, they've got the two games in hand. Well, looking back to the beginning of the season, Arsenal had a phenomenal run. But due to injuries, sort of, it might cause problems. But I think Arsenal have the quality to do it. But you could say that Manchester City certainly have more depth to the squad. But I'd fancy Arsenal's chances. I mean, if you cast your mind back to the start of the season, would you have imagined that Arsenal would have been this impressive, that they would have started the season the way that they did? Or did you think it was all going to be about Chelsea and and, um, Manchester City again? I thought Chelsea would be strong contenders this season. They always are. Uh, They've got so much quality in that side. But... I think Arsenal are getting back to the old Arsenal ways and it didn't surprise me because if you look back to last season, Joe Montemuro really transformed the Arsenal side and they just got better and better. So for me, it wasn't a surprise. I really felt that Arsenal could compete this season You know, with the likes of Jordan Nobbs, Kim Little, uh, some great players amongst that squad. If you had to choose one player that's impressed you most from Arsenal and one player that's impressed you most from City, who would those players be? It would have been Jordan Nobbs uh, prior to her injury and, and Kim Little. So those two for me, absolutely superb in the attacking line. The midfield uh, really create a lot of chances. The driving force of the Arsenal side. And Man City, you have to say, Georgia Stanway has been an absolute star. Young, rising talent. And also Jill Scott has performed really well. But, I mean, you can't look past Nikita Paris if, if I had to pick one. Um, you know, top goal scorer unbelievable. Now before the Continental Cup final took place we at Match of Her Day were granted the opportunity to sit down with Arsenal manager Joe Montemuro, the Aussie who has had the gunners on the up since arriving from down under in November 2017. Joe, first full season as Arsenal manager, how do you feel that the club and the team has come on since last year? Oh look, I think there's been an evident uh, improvement um, both in, uh, I suppose, the style, the way we play, and and obviously, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of talk about bridging the gap with City and, and Chelsea, and uh, I think there's been some positive results uh, that have that have shown that. Um, the good thing about it, it's always nice to be uh, in control of your destiny. So, um, you know, we've we've worked very very hard to get ourselves, you know, in a very very good position of the importance of of, of what we think is uh, is winning the league. It probably wouldn't be fair of me to ask which of your players has impressed you most, but which of your players has, um, do you feel kind of improved most this season or, or surprised you perhaps in their development? Well, there's been a, there's been a lot. Uh, it's it's always hard to put a to put a finger on things and uh, on on particular players on individuals. But I I just I like the fact that uh, there's been a belief in the way we want to do things, and uh, you know we've 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 brought into that, and uh, and we believe in what we're trying to do, and uh, and and look, there's still a long way to go. I still think we're a good twelve months away from where we really want to be. Um, it's still a growing process, and you know you, you're changing you're changing a little bit of culture, you're changing players that have been playing overseas, and, and different ideas and different ways of doing things, and uh, you're just trying to bring all that together. Um, but um, yeah, I think uh, on a whole, I, I can't really pinpoint anyone. Do you feel perhaps as a club you've surprised people? I, I think people, many commentators as such from the outside looking in at the start of the season would have again said Chelsea and Manchester City are going to be the front runners, Arsenal perhaps going to be the main challengers but perhaps just a little behind and mm-hmm. here you are really having led the table for, for much of the season. It certainly looks like you're going to be right in the thick of the title race yeah. until the end. Yeah. 
Um, I, I look, I always knew, and and a couple of the little little indicators throughout last year. I mean, uh, when I when I arrived, I think it was was there was an eight or nine point gap between us and and second spot, and we we missed out on Champions League by one point. So there was already a little bit of a gain from that perspective. And uh, and obviously, you know, being in both both finals and winning a trophy, uh, they were the little rewards that we were and little indicators that we were getting throughout last year that we were on the right track. And this year, you know, uh, I can only commend the players who have who have just been absolutely amazing in terms of the work that they've put in and put themselves in a, in a scenario. You know, we've we've had a, a few ups and downs like you always do throughout a season. I think every team, you know, whether they're in the Premier League or the WSL, there's always ups and downs, you know, and uh, and the good thing about it is that we've been able to stabilise and uh, and believe in what we're doing and keep that and keep that going. So, um, yeah, there's there's some great signs, but I still, I still say we're still a good 12 months away from where we really want to be. This interview will go out after... The Continental Cup final will go after out after some very important league matches tomorrow. You're playing Yeovil City against Everton. Yes. We don't know how things are going to look this time next week, but would you rather be in your position right now? You've got two games in hand, but City have those two extra points mm. on the board. Where would you rather be, in, in City's position or, or where you are? Always on top of the ladder. Always uh, you know, looking down on everyone because uh, then we can control exactly what goes on. But you know we're in a we're in a good situation in terms of now um, you know we've got good spaces between games we can plan properly for games because uh, you know the, the December January and, and February uh, period is very very taxing um, in terms of you know three games a week uh, lots of lots of backup on cups and especially when you go into cups and uh, you know it's 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 quite taxing so uh, we've got a little bit of breathing space to to sort of really focus and get everyone. Ready and uh, and uh, and aiming for the for the for the success of the prize. And the final weekend of the season is going to be Arsenal at home to Manchester City. Do you sense it's going to go right to the wire? I'm sure you would hope there'd be a way you could wrap it up if it is yeah. to be you as champions before then. But do you think it's going to go to that final weekend? Knowing my luck, of course it will. You know, it'll go all the way. Um, but look again, what an amazing showcase for women's football and football in general. Um, you know, to have that. That is the the last sort of hurrah um, at Boreham Wood. Um, I, ca- I couldn't think of anything more exciting. Uh, you know, I'm excited about it, and uh, let's hope we go in with 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 an advantage and uh, it's done and dusted. But uh, I, I guarantee you, it's going to be on the last day. As you as you say, it would be a great story for for women's football. Where where are we in this country? I mean, you know, compare it to your, to your homeland. Where are we right now with the profile of of women's football, and and what more do we need to do to take it to yet another level? Yeah, good questions. I mean, uh, it's it's always hard to to compare it to Australia because Australia is a, is a very short season during the summer. Um, I think we're in the real football industry here. Being in Europe, you know, you're playing you know 30, 30 40 odd games with cups and so on. Um, Full time professional. Um, you know, the big clubs are obviously involved. Champions League. So it's it's a it's a, it's a, it's real football. So it's always hard to make the the comparison. Um, I've I've seen an amazing amount of growth this year, especially with all the teams going professional. You just see that even the teams that are sort of I suppose not as well resourced as the as the big three or four, they too are tricky. They're difficult to play against because there's there's more contact time. There's more time, you know, with the players. The players can prepare better. Um, there's definitely a rise and definitely an improvement. It it can go it can go you know to a mammoth. Uh, I, I think. Level, and and it's all going to be about exposure. The more we expose how fantastic these athletes are, the more we expose how amazing these games are, how exciting this football is, 
um, I just think that the, the, the general public will, will embrace it. Four months out from the World Cup, I certainly sense an excitement around the World Cup in England, greater than I've ever sensed before. Um, I'm sure you're hoping England do well, but obviously your, your hopes for Australia in, in a group with uh, Italy and Jamaica and, and Brazil, how far do you think Australia can go? Yeah, look, uh, they they have a golden generation of players. Uh, they're uh, they're a very very good team. They have uh, they have match winners. They have a, a good unit. Uh, a lot of the team grew up together, so uh, it's a very young side that's been in the national team for a while. Mm. Um, and then you've got you've got you know the the X Factor players. You've got the Sam Kerrs, the Caitlin Fords. Uh, they're, they're they're very very good players. I think Australia will get out of the group and and probably progress to a quarter-final stage, and then you know it's it's match for match, it's game for game, it's moment for moment. Um, they will be very, very, uh, very, very competitive. Do you think the upheaval of having to change manager so close to the tournament just just a month ago when that decision was taken will that affect the players? Look, it's it's always a difficult situation. It's always a difficult um, you know uh, problem uh, because. Uh, you know, you never want a manager to get sacked. You know, especially this close to to a World Cup, and especially uh, Stadge, who's been um, Alan Stadjic, who's been uh, you know part of part of this group for for a long, long time, and part of the development of women's football in Australia. And uh, I, I don't know whether it's going to really uh, unstable the situation. I really don't know. I think um, you know, in the end, they're professional footballers that have to have to get on with things, and they have to really uh, prepare themselves for for you know one of the best tournaments that's in women's football that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna take place in France. So um, yeah, it's it's hard to say. It's really hard to say. But um, you know, I, I think they'll be they'll be okay. As regards Jordan Nobbs to started the season so well and, and to seen her season cut short for Arsenal and, and to see that World Cup dream taken away what do you make of the mental strength the mental fortitude that, that she has shown to, to cope with that yeah look it's uh, it was an unfortunate situation and a real uh, a real shock to all of us you know especially in the in the in the state that she was in the mental state and, and obviously the physical and, and, and football state that she was playing she was she was doing very very well and um you know, she she unfortunately has to make serious decisions on on her future of obviously not not progressing um, the the injury f- too quickly so that it could break down and and uh, and in her career into her career um, in in the in the long term. So she's made a, a concerted decision to rehab it properly and get it right and uh, and get ready for the Euros. I think uh, and I think it's a smart decision and uh, you know we're supporting her and uh, you know it's uh, she'll she'll be uh, she'll be better for it. We can't wait to see her back and we wish you all the luck for the rest of this season. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Match of Her Day podcast. Well, great to get the thoughts of Joe Montemuro there. Now to a story that's been in the news over the last fortnight or so. Lewis of the Championship have called on the FA to look at redistributing the prize money on offer for the men's and women's FA Cups. This season, the total prize fund for the men's FA Cup doubled to more than £30 million, as opposed to just £250,000 in the women's competition. Well, Lewis have written an open letter to the FA and put a video on YouTube for all to see. A little bit earlier, I spoke to the Lewis midfielder who fronts that YouTube video, Shannon Maloney. Well, Shannon, just tell us the, the key differences that you as a club 
pointed out and brought to the, the wider attention of the media and the football world? Um, so the, the main thing we brought out was that, you know, the men get paid sort of uh, total earnings of the FA Cup, get paid 99% more than the women get paid. Um, and the disparities in the different group stages and the group rounds, etc., just showed that there was such a huge gap between both the male and the female FA Cup game. You know, it's such a... It's such a prominent sort of, you know, competition as it were, and it's known globally, not just sort of nationally, but globally as well. Um, and the disparities that we actually highlighted, you know, and, and as female clubs, it, it's been going on for years. What's the reaction been since you as a club and, and you personally spoke out? Um, it's been a mix. Um, some people obviously are of the understanding, um, you know, that sort of the female game doesn't bring as much revenue in. You know, it wasn't a case that we, we want equal. Um, but, you know, just for that, to the gap to be closed. Um, and we've had some really, really positive um, sort of feedback about it as well. You know, people sort of backing it fully. And I think it's been an eye opener for people because people haven't understood that there was such a gap. So for us to spread the word and actually, you know, the FA to start doing something about it, it's been fantastic. What I was surprised to discover, I looked into it, and the winners of the, the men's FA Vars, and that's for teams in the, in the ninth tier and below, they actually win £30,000 for winning that trophy, 5000 more than the women's FA Cup winners. So it's, it's not even just a disparity in the FA Cup, but in the FA Cup competitions. Absolutely, you know, and, and even that stat itself to say that, um, you know, a football team in the ninth tier of male football gets paid less than the winners, you know, and the winners, you know, predominantly have been sort of professional women's clubs, you know, and that's their job, their full-time job. So I think with regards to how that's showing sort of men and women's football, you know, and the FA, uh, you know, they're, they're an organisation that are for all, you know, they, some of the, you know, the sort of areas that they really promote is equality you know and sort of equality with all sorts of you know opportunities for male and female yet the pay scales with the FA Cup is such a huge gap. And Lewis have said now they're, they're bringing together a small working party and they're going to present a radical proposal uh, to the FA. Can you give us any insight into what that radical proposal is going to be? I think it will mainly sort of go on what was said in the letter you know and it's sort of just highlighting what the actual disparity is you know I think with regards to them bringing it to the attention it's more you know to start opening people's eyes to actually what is going on you know and and it's surprising that no other sort of club you know and, and there's sort of lots of larger clubs you know sort of your arsenals that haven't actually spoke out about it before um, and I think Lewis FC are, are paving the way with regards you know not only to the Equality FC campaign you know the only club in the entire world that pay their male and female players the same wage. How did you feel when the the issue was raised in Parliament? last week fantastic you know that finally you know we're getting some recognition about you know what is going on but also proud to be part of a club that is actually paving the way and is actually a trailblazer for you know what should be going on in women's football you know some some women you know are fortunate enough to have this as their full-time job now you know and we have really opened the doors to you know sort of paving the way for you know professional leagues and semi-professional leagues in women's football Football is notoriously slow to change the people in, in power, the people who make decisions. How hopeful are you that the FA are going to listen to you on this issue? Well, I hope so. The FA actually banned women's football for 50 years in 1921, so they've already put a barrier in the way for women's football. Um, and previous, you know, sort of prior to that time, women's the women's games were bringing in sort of tens of thousands of supporters at a time. So the FA have already put that barrier in place for women as it were. So it almost feels like it's their responsibility to start bridging that gap even further and trying to help us you know sort of bridge that 50 years that you know we didn't have that development and we didn't have the, you know the support and the backing from the FA. Well it'll be interesting to see how this issue resolves I think the FA are going to come under increasing pressure to do something.
Now to our second big interview of the show. She's one of the most naturally gifted players in the WSL. She's overcome a broken leg this season to play a key role in Arsenal's title charge. And this summer, she'll be doing her best to make sure Scotland impress on their first ever appearance at the World Cup. Here's much of her day's interview with Kim Little. Kim, sum up this season so far, this first full season under Joe Montemiro. Yeah, obviously um, our first full season under Joe. Um, it was, you know, several new players um, and a, a different philosophy. Um, it's, you know, it's been a little bit up and down, but I think most seasons are for, for every club. Um, we obviously had a, a fantastic start to the season and we've, you know, we've had a couple of losses since since the end of the year to Man City and to, to Chelsea um, against great teams where we maybe didn't perform as we wanted to. Um, but we've, you know, evaluated them and we hope now going into our last seven games in the league that um, you know we can get back a bit of the form that we showed showed earlier on and really kick on and um, push for the title. For you personally, you had to come overcome that that injury, a, a broken leg. Did you fear the worst at the time? I mean, it was bad enough as it was, but did you fear you might be out for even longer? Um, I yeah, I was very unsure to be honest. I know um, I knew something wasn't right, so I had to go off the pitch and then um, yeah, very unsure of what it was. Obviously, I thought. You know, it would definitely be a little, you know, a few weeks, but um, it turned out to be three months, which is hard to take, you know, during a season and especially when we were we were on top and we were doing so well as a team. But, um, you know, you have to have overcome challenges and, and obstacles, um, especially when you're when you're going for a title. And, um, you know, I had one personal one um, and so have several other players. But, um, uh, you know, like the, the way you react to, to them and come back and um, the attitude then is what defines defines you and defines the team. So um, I'm just glad to be back on the pitch and to be to be playing with my, my teammates and my friends and um, in the position we are going into the end of the season and in control and you know hopefully we can we can show show our potential and, and really push on and um, and win the league. And on that injury front, have you all had to, to rally round Jordan Nobbs after what happened to her and what have you made of how she has dealt with it? Yeah, I think yeah, you know, Jordan obviously with her a long term injury with her ACL, something I, you know I've obviously been through. I think we've all, we've you know there's several several players in the team um, and players you know out with the team who who have gone through long term injuries and um, and how to yeah manage them and control them. And yeah, Jordan's you know at early stages of it just now, but um, she's on the right path and is getting the best care and um, with the mindset she has and the the players she has, she'll she'll come back bigger and better and. Um, yeah, you know we've got a great um, team here and support and care with players and staff. So you know we've got a lot of players who are coming back from longer term injuries um, and coming back into the team. And um, you know they'll all be great additions when they do. Just four months now till the World Cup. Is it is it a good thing to be in the same group as England, England, Scotland, or, or would you kind of rather have avoided that because of all the hype that's going to be around that that opening group game? You know, I for me, I'm just a person who, who takes what you know comes and is put in front of me. And um, we obviously all have friends in England and they, you know, back to Scotland as well. So um, you know, it gives it a little bit more of a maybe a personal, you know, um, battle or game. But you know, I, you know, we we as a team, it's our first qualification for a World Cup, and regardless of who we're playing, obviously playing England makes it maybe a little bit extra special with the rivalry and that connection personally. But um, we're just happy to be there and to, to we're just going to enjoy the journey and hopefully it'll take us um with 
you know, a little bit positivity and success, um, whatever that may be for us. <laughs> I think everyone who's in that group probably looks at it and thinks it's a tough group. You've got Japan, former World Cup winners. Yeah. You've got England ranked number four in the world as we mm-hmm. as we speak. And you've got Argentina, some people say could be dark horses. Yeah. And when you look at it, realistically, is it possible to get out of the group? Obviously, some of the third, the best third place teams could go through or... Are you even looking higher than that? Are you saying, hey, look, we could we could finish second in that group There's not, if we get off to a good start against England? Yeah, I think, you know, the getting off to a good start against England would definitely give us a great chance of um, finishing second. But, yeah, our, our our aim is to obviously be there and enjoy the journey. But, yeah, definitely to get out of the group. We're, we're ambitious and we have a great team and great players, so we know that we're capable of that. But, um, you know, it's about turning up and, and giving that when we're there on the... Um, in June um, when we, we turn up for the games and like you said that you know we're respectful England and Japan are great nations who have been consistent um, at the highest level for a long time and we'll have to do and be at our absolute best if we want to get anything from those games we know that and obviously very unaware a little bit unaware of what Argentina are like never played them um, never seen them play but we'll obviously do our homework and be respectful of them and I'm sure they'll be a very tough team too. And I know it wouldn't affect your approach as a professional, but is it a bit of a strange one, this whole setup with the Olympic qualification, that it will be down to if England can grab one of the, uh, finishes one of the top three European teams there. And you as a Scotland player could kind of hinder your own World Cup chances because obviously if Scotland beat England, it's going to make it harder for them to go on and grab one of those qualifying places for Great Britain. Yeah, it's not something that you know cross, crosses my mind. It's obviously out with my control and I'm representing Scotland at the World Cup and you know I want to do we want to do the best best that we can as a nation and um, the Olympics will foresee and be what, what it's meant to be um, yeah do, do you think they might have to reassess in future how they look at this sort of things because it, it feels like a clunky clumsy setup almost yeah I don't know it's quite um, a unique situation um, obviously with the four nations and um, having a GBT Met Olympics, so yeah, I'm I'm not sure if there could be a better way of doing it, but that's the way it is. That's the way FIFA works, and um, whatever will be, will be. Back to the domestic front. I mean, what a prospect we have for the for the title running because that final fixture of the season is going to be Arsenal against Manchester City. Do you think it's going to go right to the wire? Um, I think I yeah, like you said, I have no idea, but um, if we control what you can control and be in the matches leading up to that, then it could be. You know, potentially done before them, but we need to make sure that we turn up and we perform and we do that. And if not, then it'll it'll be an exciting end to the season and in last game if it gets to that point. But there's a long way to go. There's seven games. We know that that's not going to be easy, and that we need to we need to win. You know, those matches and to be turn up and to get points, even if we're playing teams lower than us. We we're very respectful of them and um we're yeah no definitely not ahead of ourselves and know know where we're at. But we're in control, which is a nice feeling. Yeah, well, what is the mood like here? Give us a bit of an insight to to the camp because as we sit here, no doubt successful season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, as a club and obviously as you said at the beginning, with Joe coming in for the past year year and a half, uh, well year and a bit now. Mm. Um, you know, we're on a journey and we're we're processing and progressing as a team, um, developing our philosophy and identity and squad, um, and we've shown you know glimpses this year of. Of where we can be, but um, you know, from from my inner perspective and as a team, we know we are capable of so much more. Um, and you know, we've got ourselves in a position where we are title contenders, which is maybe something we've not had in previous years. Which is, um, yeah, such just great to be a part of and to have that 
intensity and intent going into the last little bit of the season. So, yeah, we're, we're progressing and we're moving forward, but we've still got a long way to go to, to get to where we want to be. You've touched on it there that it's, it's been a few years now since Arsenal were right in there in the, in the mm. thick of a, a challenge, whereas Manchester City have had that more recently. Mm. Do you worry at all that that could be a factor? Um, yeah, they definitely have maybe the consistency and the players that they have. They've got a bit more continuity than we do, but because of they've you know had a good core of players for for those years, and hence why they've they've won league titles and and done so well. But we're very um, confident and have a belief in who we have here and what we have as a team and building. And we've got you know players with a lot of experience, including myself, but obviously some with you know who are younger and a bit more raw. But that can also be be a great asset too. Thanks very much, Kim. We think it's going to be a great few weeks ahead. We're really looking forward to the title running. Thank you. You're listening to the Match of Her Day podcast in association with the Women's Football Yearbook. Thanks very much to Kim Little for that. Now, Samantha, before we go, I've got to ask you about the recent training session at Crystal Palace Ladies. They invited the media down to train with them. Now, I know you've played for Tottenham and London Bees and you're with QPR in the third tier, but what was it like training with this championship side and did anything about it surprise you? I have to say it was incredible actually really really enjoyed it and I I really pushed myself and that was because all the coaches around you can tell really motivate this team to push on it was an extremely intense session and as I said I just really enjoyed it my hamstring was definitely feeling it over the next few days I played a charity game in, on Sunday, the Stephen Derby Cup, raising money from the motor neuron disease, and I felt like I could hardly move. My hamstring was restricting me where I'd worked so hard. But no, I'm, I'm glad I got the opportunity. And you sort of forget what it's like to train at that intensity. Um, I suppose you could say when I was playing WSL2 for London Bees, uh, the sessions were, were of that standard. But haven't trained at that intensity for a while now. Uh, you know, I play in the league below, and it's not, it's not as intense, but thoroughly enjoyed that session. Do you think it caught any of the other media by surprise? There were a few journos down there. Do you think they might have thought, wow, we didn't realise that you know, women's teams at this level had to put quite so much into it? Definitely, I think it did uh, catch some of the media by surprise, especially you know, they'd spoken to these girls prior to the training session, found out they have you know, other jobs to do during the day, they might be tired coming into this training session, to, so to be able to train at that tempo after working maybe a nine to five is just truly amazing and I'm glad that the media got to see that, the commitment that the players give and just how much they do give to this game and just for the love and the passion of the game. Great idea from Palace, I think, really to give the media that access and that insight. And and speaking of Palace, of course, just a reminder, if you haven't heard our first episode, please do download the Match of Her Day podcast, episode one, where Crystal Palace granted us access all areas at Hayes Lane. Fascinating to hear uh, the dressing room team talk with the manager, Dean Davenport, and all the players. For now, though, it's goodbye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon for the Match of Her Day podcast.